Um, Trevor, you're welcome to come up now. Thank you, Well, good morning, everybody. Trust you're all well. Um, this week, for those of you who don't know, um, you're commenti- commencing a new series of talks. And uh, uh, the first one which I'm doing this morning is Jesus Helps. Next week, it's Jesus Protects. And the following week, it's Jesus gives life. Shall we just pray together? Lord, it's good this morning to be in your presence. It's good to sense that even though some may be living alone, maybe their family are scattered or maybe their family members are no longer with them, we thank you for the family of the church. Thank you that we are heirs of the Father, we're joint heirs with the Son. We're children of the Kingdom, we are family, we are one. And we pray today that we will sense your presence. We will know the reality of our union in Christ. And we will just delight to hear your word and think of its relevance to us now in the 21st century. Be among us now and anoint us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. About two years ago, um, I was invited to the wedding of uh, one of my nephews. Um, it was a, an unusual wedding, to say the least. Uh, having first, they're not Christians, so having first uh, married in a registry office, uh, they decided that their, their wedding, their, their reception rather, was going to be kind of new ages, and they were going to name their little girl at the same time. And on the invitation card, it said, Uh, wear dancing shoes and dress to get messed. So I thought, that's good, that's going to save myself a lot of money. My wife will not be saying she needs new clothes. Though having said that, because um, I may have to, or rather my wife may have to go to London uh, later in the year for an important do, a colleague of mine said, that will cost you money, you know. And... uh, when we were in Shrewsbury the other day, she had already started getting ready her wardrobe. But that was an unusual wedding, and we did get messed up. Though fortunately, it wasn't a very muddy day. And then I think of another unusual wedding I went to. Uh, This time it was in the city of Rome. And it was a young couple in the church in Salio where I was part of the team, um, an Italian young lady marrying a Canadian young man. And they asked us to be a a guest at their wedding. In fact, they asked me to serve them communion. I remember it quite well because it was quite a high Anglican church. 
And the priest said to my colleague, after we've served them with communion, you will have to drink all the wine. And he says, well, I'm teetotal. So he said, well, is there anyone else here who is ordained? I don't know, they have these strange notions in the Anglican Church. Who's ordained? Who's not teetotal? Um, And please don't get the wrong impression here. My wife... Uh, my colleague says, oh, my friend here, he'll drink the wine afterwards. Well, there was rather a lot of wine to drink afterwards. But the wedding itself was quite normal. But the reception afterwards was very, very unusual. The couple's parents were extremely wealthy, and the reception was in a mansion just very close by St. Peter's, And they must have spent a fortune on it. Uh, The hors d'oeuvre alone, which was round a pool with uh, bright torches on it all the way round, went on for at least an hour. We got there and started eating at seven o'clock and we were still eating at two o'clock in the morning. So that was an unusual wedding. Well, this morning, I want you to come with me to another unusual wedding. And it's this wedding in Cana. Uh, And Jesus, as a guest, as you have heard, changes water into wine. Incidentally, you can still visit Cana in Galilee today. And on uh, one of the many visits I've made to Israel, on one occasion I was walking through Cana, and I tell you not a word of a lie, some enterprising monks came out of a shop and they said, we're selling wine. (laughs) Would you like a bottle? So people always catch in on things that have happened in the past. Now, the Bible tells us that this was the beginning of the Lord's miracles. The beginning is often the key to what follows and this was true of this wedding in Cana. This miracle was the gateway into the most wonderful life the world has ever known. The 33 years that Jesus was on earth. So I want us to imagine for a moment that we're a guest at that wedding. We're standing somewhere in the background watching and listening. What can we learn from this incident? Above all else, what has the Lord to say to us now in 2019? We're not told who the happy couple were at that wedding, but I think it's interesting to note that they invited Jesus to their wedding. That rather indicates to me that they were believers. They believed that there was something special about Jesus they, they wanted to share and enter into what he was teaching. Uh, they knew, maybe knew Jesus well, and they were glad to have him there. There are, of course, without being judgmental now, there are many people who don't invite Jesus to their wedding. They give very little thought to him prior to the wedding, at the wedding, and certainly after the wedding. But they do, however, choose to get married in church. Now, they might do that for uh, maybe a couple of reasons. They want to give it a kind of air of religion, as they put it, 
you know, we better, um, if there's anything up there, we, 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 we better make it slightly holy. But usually, uh, they get married in church because it's a nice building and they're thinking of the photographs. But that's as far as it goes. In any real sense, Jesus is not a part of their marriage. But I'm glad, aren't you, that the Lord can be brought into our marriage and our married life together. He's not in any sense detached from these things. On the contrary, he planned it that way. The Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmate or a helper suitable for him. So marriage, no matter how many people choose to live together today without getting married, marriage is designed to give us the greatest possible joy in life. So when couples refuse to get married and simply live together, they're actually missing out on the greatest possible happiness. And I believe with all my heart that we mess with marriage to our peril. God created the game called life and only when we play it by his rules do we get the greatest happiness. So Jesus wants to be a part of every relationship before the wedding, at the wedding and after the wedding. And one of the um, things I would stress here and when I did a lot of, ever since a lot of marriage guidance counselling, when I was in our Sully Oak Church, because we had lots of students from the university there, one of the things we would, my wife and I would, would always stress is the importance of praying together. Now, the couples would often say to us, well, we would find that very, very embarrassing, praying together. But we would say, Try it. At first you'll be ever so embarrassed, but then the more you do it, the more important you will find it. And without drawing attention to myself and my wife, I need to tell you, Chris and I pray together every single morning. Uh, not great long prayers. Uh, we're still in bed and still a bit sleepy, but we pray together. And I would say that that has been one of the most important factors in our marriage. Now, most weddings have last-minute hitches with things going wrong. You know, the bride's mother discovers that she's got the same dress on as another lady in the wedding. She's forgotten her hat, or something else has gone wrong. Um, and at that wedding in Cana there was a problem. And you know what the problem was? They'd run out of wine. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to her son with this difficulty. Now, some of us, when we face a problem, would never, ever think of telling Jesus. Or if we do pray about the problem, it's almost a last-minute thing. But Mary, please note from that passage in John 2, Mary went to Jesus straight away. He, it would appear, was her first thought. And I think that what Jesus is saying to us through that is this. Come to me with your problems. Let me solve them. 
Don't think that I am irrelevant to everyday matters and the decisions that you often have to face. Now, Chris and I had a problem at the beginning of this year, quite a major problem, to do with an investment. And I got initially, for about three days, quite stressed about it, and it was affecting my sleep patterns, and my wife said, let's pray about it. And in the house group that I go to insult, there is a a lady there, a Catholic lady, a Polish lady, and I need to tell you, she is as Catholic as it comes. But that woman knows the Lord, really knows the Lord. And I didn't share my problem with many people, but I shared my problem with this lady called Bajana. And she said, I'll pray for you. And I knew she would pray for me. It was a problem to me, and I knew she'd pray for me. And I said, would you please pray that I'll have a peace? The, the Bible calls it a peace beyond all understanding. And she said, yes, I will. And every when she comes to the house, she says, I'm praying for you, Trevor. I'm going through my beads. And yes, she is praying for me. And God has given me an incredible peace. Now, I want to tell you, no problem, like running out of wine, is irrelevant to Jesus. No problem is too difficult for him to solve. The Bible says, is anything too hard for the Lord? That doesn't mean we shouldn't make rational choices. We shouldn't make decisions. All of us have to use our intelligence. But it does mean that there are no details of our life, however small, however much we think they are irrelevant to the Almighty, that Christ is uninterested in and isn't able to help us with. Now, we can't say with any certainty how Mary imagined Jesus would sort out this particular problem. I don't think at this stage she ever thought that a miracle would take place. Maybe at that time of day it wasn't possible to buy more wine, the shops were shut or they were too far away. But the thing is, Mary somehow believed with all her heart that Jesus could meet her need. In spite of everything, he could deal with the situation and that's the kind of faith we need. I'm quite certain that the Lord um, met the need in a way that Mary never thought possible. And this can be true in our lives. The resources of Christ are infinite. Um, Another lady who comes to our house group, and we realise now why she's doing it, because she's just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. But she keeps on repeating a wonderful scripture. And the scripture is, he, that is Jesus, is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think. Is that not true? That's the God we serve. So that means that Christ can meet our need, no matter how complex it is, perhaps in a way we not thought, but he's always able to help us in our difficulties. The question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is this. Are we ready to trust him and then respond 
to his help. Please note that the hosts at that wedding had to do everything that Jesus said to them in order to have their need met. To me, the key verse in that passage in John chapter 2, it's more important than anything else, is this. Mary said, do whatever he told you. Do whatever he told you. And here I would suggest we have the golden rule for a happy and useful life. Whatever Christ says to us, we must do it. Do you want to know God's joy? Do you want to know his peace? Do you want to know his blessing in your life? Then you must do what he says. Or as we used to often sing when people were baptised, and you older friends will know these words, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Do we want our lives to be pleasing to him in all things? Then again we must do what he says. Do we want our prayers answered? Are we seeking for fresh and enlarged fields of Christian service? Then we must do what he says. Are we looking for guidance in our life? Then we must do what he says. For me, one of the, I, I, I tell you this in all honesty, there's not a week goes by when I am not challenged by this verse. One of the most challenging verses in the whole of the Bible is Luke chapter 6, verse 46, that says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not do what I say? But if we set as a golden rule for the whole of our life doing what the Lord says, then our, our Christian life is going to be much more purposeful and much more filled with joy. Now, admittedly, in our everyday life, Doing what the Lord says is not always easy to discern. There have been times in my ministry when I have been absolutely convinced that I should do something, only to discover that that thing does not happen. So discovering God's will for our life isn't always easy. The key thing is that we read the Scriptures and we read them regularly. That does not mean when you open the Bible every morning if for instance you're thinking of buying a house on Eccleshill Road or buying a house on Sandon Road or becoming a bus driver or becoming a teacher or whatever that you're going to suddenly open the scriptures and find a verse that tells you to do that God guides us through the principles of scripture and another key way in which God speaks to us and we discern his will is by prayer. Prayer is probably one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. But prayer is vital and we need to stick at prayer. And then, after prayer and the reading of scriptures, one of the other ways we discover what Jesus is saying to us is through circumstances. Doors opening and doors closing. Another way in which God speaks to us is through other people. Circumstances and God speaking to us through other people is not enough on its own. We need to read the scriptures and we need to pray. 
and then we discover what God is saying to us. Do whatever he tells you. And I thank God for times in my life when I have been set on a clear direction and I've known categorically what God is saying to me. So let's take a look now more closely at what Christ did say to those wedding guests, those stewards. The first thing is this. First of all, Jesus had a look round at what he could use. And what he found were, as you can see on the screen, six stone water jars. Not very likely candidates, you might think, for God's service. Just old, dusty water pots. What on earth could he do with those? But the Lord, as we know, could use those pots. In fact, they were just what he needed. Now, what relevance do those pots have to us today? Well, quite interestingly, the Apostle Paul tells us that we, not very complimentary this, but we are like those six stone water jars. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That means in our life. We're not much, just jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So, in these jars of clay, in our life, Jesus has placed the treasure of the gospel. So, notwithstanding our failures, Christ can use us just as he used those water pots. So, that's the first thing I see in this miracle. But to use us, we've got to be in the right place. If you notice in one version it says they were standing close by. The NIV says they were standing nearby. And you might not think that's important but I see that as being very important. If they'd not been standing nearby but hidden away in some garden shed Jesus may not have seen them. They weren't especially glamorous or attractive but they did have a capacity for something. They could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water, each of which were needed to perform a miracle. So how fortunate it was that they were standing there, standing nearby. Now let's ask ourselves the question in 2019, are we available when the Lord needs to use us? Are we standing nearby? Or are we at a distance, concerned with our own plans, and not at all concerned with how the Lord might use us? We may think we have little to offer the Lord, but like those pots, we all have a capacity for something. So they were available, they were standing nearby, and the third thing I want you to notice is they were empty. They had to be empty before they could be filled with water. Empty. Let me tell you, that's the way the Lord wants us. Empty. That doesn't mean thick. That doesn't mean stupid. 
It means empty in the sense that we're prepared to acknowledge that our plans may not be the important thing. Empty. There's a very old hymn we used to sing when I first became a Christian. You may or may not know it, but one line came to me when I was thinking about this. Emptied, it's the old English this, emptied that thou shouldest fill me a clean vessel in your hand. There's a French proverb which says that if we draw our own chains, we are not yet free. And it's possible to draw our own chains, that is to say, our our own plans and our own ambitions, but only as we learn to yield those to Christ do we become fully free. There's another old hymn that says, Force me to render up my sword, and then I shall be free. Because the water pots were empty, they were able to be filled. May our lives be free too, free to be filled with God's power, not simply crammed with our own desires. So the water pots were available, they were in the right place, and they were given to Christ empty. And then Jesus said, fill the jars with water. And the servants, we are told, fill them up to the brim. So that's the fourth thing I see now They were filled. And as I've put on the screen there, the Lord is very, very fond of full things. Christians who are full of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit and power. Like our Lord himself, he wants us to be full of grace and full of truth. He wants our, says John 15, our joy to be full. The Lord doesn't want us to be miserable. He wants our joy to be full. To be filled to the brim spiritually means our whole personality, including body, soul and spirit, is under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that's when we begin to glorify Jesus in our life. We walk in the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, we work through the Spirit, but for that to happen we've got to be filled to the brim. And there is a great, and I speak as much to myself as to you, there is a great danger in all our lives of only partial obedience to the Lord. That's why I find that verse so challenging. Why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I tell you to do? His demand is that we obey him fully in order that we might live for him fully. So when the water pots were filled, Jesus said, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banker. Draw some out. But Lord, it is only water. Fancy being told to do that when they had run out of wine. To save water, to serve water instead of wine. But the remarkable thing is, and this is the fifth thing, in the act of obedience... The miracle happened. It was prompt. And the water changed into wine. A chorus that did the rounds many, many years ago, um, in fact, when we started our church in Cannock, it was top of the Christian hit parade, was this. All that... Some of you... Tell me if you know, remember this chorus. All that you need is a miracle. And all that you need 
can be yours. All that you need is available the moment you turn to the Lord. When we place ourselves at God's disposal, we're available. When we're in the right place, emptied of our own selfish wishes, filled with him and obedient to him, it's then that a miracle takes place in our life. But the $64,000 question is this, are we prepared to acknowledge the need for change in our life or are we quite content to remain as we are? This is what the psalmist says. The Lord gives wine that gladdens the heart of man. In other words, whether you're teetotal or not, I'm using this in a metaphorical sense. God gives us the very best. How many of you believe that? The head waiter at the wedding reception was to see this. Jesus gave him the best. He said to the bridegroom, everyone out of choice gives the best wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have drunk too much wine. But he said, you Lord, have saved the best wine until now. Um, I don't know, I know, because I've preached here a lot, I don't know everybody here this morning. And it could well be that in the past, you yourself have been drinking the worst wine. You've drunk, if I can use the same metaphor, from the wine pots of the world. And the truth of the matter is, and you know it's true, it doesn't really satisfy you. And if that's you, can I encourage you to come to Jesus this morning? The fact that you're in church does not make you a Christian. And can I encourage you this morning to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make him Lord of your life. Make him your first priority. And then you'll have the best wine. For there is no peace, no joy, no, no thrill like walking in his will. Now, I don't know whether you, and with this I close, I, I don't know whether you know that in the Old Testament there was the opposite of Jesus changing water into wine. And in the Old Testament, the prophet spoke of a time when the Israelites turned wine back into water. And this is what he says, the prophet Isaiah. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Now, I find that quite an interesting comment in terms of what we see happening in many lives today. Having rejected God, um, and, and Chris and I were watching television last night, and there was a comic on, and we were so disgusted by the language, we just switched it off. And you find that the world all the while is trying to squeeze us into its mould. It's happening constantly. And morally and spiritually, the people of Jerusalem were no longer what they used to be. Maybe that's true of our life. At one time they were known, says that same chapter, for being faithful. 
At one time they were known as being the home of justice and righteousness. At one time they were like pure silver, says the prophet Isaiah. But slag had polluted their silver and water had seeped into their wine. They'd become morally impure and spiritually corrupt. And sadly, sadly, that's what we see happening today. Probably didn't all happen at once. It wasn't that the inhabitants of Jerusalem went to bed one night godly and woke up next the morning ungodly and suddenly decided to become unjust and unrighteous and unfaithfulness. In all probability, there was a slow erosion of standards, a gradual blurring of distinctiveness, and they were less close to the Lord than they once were. And that's why in a metaphorical sense, the prophet says, your wine has turned into water. I find that very, very challenging. But I'm encouraged to know that the Lord through the prophet Isaiah said to the Israelites, though you've sunk, though you've let the world get into your system, though your wine has turned into water, there can be a change. He says, I'll purge away your dross and remove all your iniquities. And I am so glad that the Lord is in that business of restoration today, changing our lives. I thank God that 24-7 the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, seeking to change us, seeking to make us more like Jesus. Seeking to bring us back from water to wine again. And that perhaps is something you personally need to hear. The devil will tell you it's too late for change. But the Bible says the devil is a liar. And no matter how long, no matter how long you've been drinking the water of the world. Let me tell you this morning, God's got something better for you. The wine of his blessing. And what was the result of that miracle? Well, verse 11 tells us, He there revealed His glory and His disciples put their faith in Him. No doubt, no doubt the waiters who witnessed that miracle and others who heard about it went everywhere telling people what had happened. And as a result of that, as a result of their obedience, great spiritual blessing came. And that always does happen when we fully dedicate our life to the Lord. You've got a new pastor coming. May tell you, Pastor Stephen will not build this church. You build the church. You build the church by your dedication to Jesus, by your devotion to Him, and by your willingness to do what the Lord tells you to do. This morning... I would urge you all and I urge myself to hear again the voice of the Lord and respond to it. Perhaps even though you're in church, you've never given your life to the Lord. There may be many things you don't fully understand. How did water change into wine? 
The servants didn't know, but they knew it was wine once they poured it out. And you may say, well, how can Christ change my life? I don't understand that, nor do I. But I do know that when I made a commitment to Jesus at the age of 12 and a half, Jesus began to change my life. The Bible says when someone becomes a Christian, they are a brand new person on the same anymore a new life and if this morning you've never made that great decision I would encourage you to do so and if you feel challenged by what I've said I have a booklet afterwards that will help you the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good blessed that means truly happy is the man or woman who takes refuge in me. So afterwards, just say, I'd like one of those booklets, Trevor. And for those of us, and I'm sure this is true for many of us, most of us here this morning, who've committed our life to the Lord, we know him as our Saviour. May we know him more and more as our Lord. So that in everything we do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's do whatever he tells us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, challenging thoughts there. And there are times when we all drink the water of the world and we think it's going to satisfy us. We think it's going to make us happy. We think that the more we possess, the happier we'll become. But sometimes the opposite happens. We think if only this and if only that. Lord, would you take us from the water of the world that never truly satisfies into the wine of your blessing? Whoever drinks of this water That of the so that we will do whatever you tell us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andy.